Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Flypass podcast. I'm Hans from Kiero and I am with Darren Priday. Darren, tell us what you do. Hi, um, I'm Darren Priday. I'm manager of the Michael Beeson Conservation Centre at the Royal Air Force Museum. So it's actually quite exciting. We're out and about, having been, having been locked down in our lives for months, not being able to see the light of day. Now we're here at the RAF Museum in Cosford. It's a um, very, very cool place. Let's have a little bit of a, bit of a walk around, Darren. You can sort of... Um, Give us some selected highlights from uh, the Cold War hangar that we're in. If you haven't, um, if you haven't been here, you need to get yourself down here. Hopefully on the May the seventeenth. That's correct, isn't it? That's, that's what we're working to at the moment. Yeah. Come on, Boris. You know it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> Stick to the roadmap. Um, so what we're looking at here. So tell us about tell us about this aircraft. Well, what we've got here is the F one eleven, which is my very first aeroplane when I joined the museum to work on. Uh, in those days, I was a technician long before I got the manager. Beautiful aeroplane, big, heavy, um, but again, not something you really see in the UK, uh, certainly flying around, so it's a good example for people to come to visit our museum to actually see an F-111. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool, isn't it? Because I suppose museums, you know, obviously the, the big ticket items, you know, Spitfires, you know, Lancaster, etc. But it's, you know, for true fans of historic aviation, it's cool to see some of the slightly more left field stuff, isn't it? Well, that, that's it. And that's what you get in this one here. There's, there's a couple of MiG-15, MiG-21, and of course the three V-bombers in here as well, Victor Vulcan Valiant all together. Ah, uh, yes. Well, let's go actually. The MiG-15, this is a this is a very cool, um, a very, very cool aircraft, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, as you can see by the... Um, markings on the back mm-hmm. we did a feature once on this guy in america who spent um 17 years restoring one of these like uh he, he one of his friends was um in the early 90s was out in uh, eastern europe and uh, he said to him if you see anything cool let me know and he found up because oh, i've got i can see this plane it's um it's got a weird little nose but um you obviously pre-internet so um in doing it but they these are these are great things, aren't they? Yeah, small as well, actually. Smaller than you'd yeah, imagine. They are these. stubby. Stubby, yeah. Very, um, more, more like the Sabre sort of size. Really. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, so it's a like, nice uh, example we've got here. Uh, back in, I say, in the Polish colours. But again, as you can see, and one, one thing we have been doing, we've been talking about lockdown. My team do still have responsibilities with this being a national collection and to things like um, health and safety as well. Uh, firearms, you can see straight away we've got firearms. So we've been coming in keeping a check on them once a week and also other things like radiation sources obviously in the cockpits and things like that. It's our responsibility in the health and safety to make sure they're still there source of county. Uh, and might sound silly, but making sure tires have been blown up. Um, you know, if a tire goes down, you can just start causing damage and that's what we want. So so when there has been a lockdown, we've been having guys come in two or three days a week maybe, just to keep an eye on the collection. It's an interesting point about the um, the, the, the radiation that you make because I suppose you know so, you know when you get hold of these aircraft, they're sometimes you know they come from all around the world, and it's, it's difficult to know the exact ins and outs of what of where they've been and you know what they've been up to. Isn't it? Well, to be honest with you, the first thing we will do are certainly something that we don't necessarily know too much about, like something like a MIG. Uh, first thing we will do is get the radiation monitors out and just go around and do a complete sweep. It's very very sensitive and we'll pick up anything that's there and then we'll just deal with it. Um, it's all allowed, we're allowed to have it. We've got licenses in all, all the sites. Uh, and we do source accounting, we do um, uh, activity levels and all this sort of stuff. But we've got a database of where everything is, what's fitted and its activity level. Uh, so we've, we're just setting up now a system where we've got maps of all the cockpits 
Um, so when we want to do our source accounting, we literally go in, look at the map, got little tree foils on them. Yep, 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 they're all still there. As I say, at least once a year, we will measure their activity as well and make sure uh, there's no problem. They are, they are sealed sources, about 99% of them anyway. So they are relatively safe. Have you ever um, had it where you've, you've got your little uh, radiation uh, monitor thing out and it's just kind of completely gone off the scale? Well, the sensitive one will do, to be truthful. Really? It, it's that sensitive and that's what it's designed to do. But we have a, a little more uh, smaller monitor which actually physically can read each one. And if possible, we will take them out and so we're not getting um, any sort of background coming from other sources so we can measure their true activity level, which we tend to do about 100 centimetres, four inches away. Um, if we have to do it in a cockpit with all the other instruments around, we'll do it. We'll shield it. We've got some lead shielding that we we'll put over the front of the instrument um, to get as accurate measurements we can. And then we'll take a pilot's seated one uh, position. So if anybody's in the cockpit, we know that's the exposure they're getting on them. Uh, and again, because we offer some of these aircraft up for um, open cockpit type events, what we do as well, we typically have a volunteer or one of my staff stood by the aeroplane and we measure that level as well to real, uh, to, so we can work out how long they can actually stand there for that event and before they get their maximum exposure for the day. Uh, so it's, it's very, very tightly controlled and just to let you know, the someone like yourself, if you were to stand there, I, if I carry my little TLD, uh, which measures the radiation, I can stand there for five times the length of time. So really? it's incredibly, it's incredibly safe, very much monitored and Again, we're checking for damage on the gauges, things like that. Um, that's what the guys, when they're on the open cockpit, are doing, making sure someone's not accidentally just broken some glass. If they have, we'll do it. Touch we've never had that problem. I suppose this is, uh, this is the unseen stuff that goes on behind the scenes in museums. You know, we're just used to turning up for the day, going, oh, that's amazing, it's a great day out, and then you go back. You don't really consider a lot of this stuff, do you? Well, there's other stuff as well. Obviously, you're going to find in there uh, vintage airplanes, you're going to get asbestos, which we uh, encapsulate. Uh, that, nowadays, that's all done through licensed companies. Uh, but just simply uh, a 70-year-old tyre with 50, 60 PSI inside is potentially a dangerous object. So again, we're, we're looking at the condition of tyres, and that's why we put them on stand to keep the weight off. And we can reduce the pressure inside them then. Um, and when they start deteriorating, we will look at getting them foam filled, and that makes them... Stuff. It's not just the airplanes themselves with all the hydraulic oils and things like that, because you, you, can, you can clean out as much fuel as you want and you can clean out as much the hydraulic system. There's always a little drip that pops out now and then. Don't know where it hides itself, but it's always in there somewhere. <laughs> but mechanical systems as well, and that's typically on like the missiles we've got behind us. Um, uh, if, you look, if you're going to put something like a paveway on, on display, um, there'll be no munitions inside, so it's totally safe from that side. But what you've got is this little system that once she drops away from the aeroplane, there's a little um, propeller on the back, which actually arms the, uh, the spring-loaded, uh, what they call them, fins. That's called mm -hmm. fins. Yes, and, and they pop out. So can you imagine actually physically on display, if someone pull the umbilical cord, spin the back end, these fins could deploy. So it's it's those those are incredibly dangerous. One would have to look into those sort of systems. It's not what you want on a family day out, no, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. So, yeah, yeah we, 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 very, we really closely look at all the hazards we are on a hop, an object to see what we can find before they go and make sure they're safe. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy, why is that missile moving? <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I suppose you, the uh, the V bombers are, you know, they they must be the um, the, the real um, the, the, the real popular things in this hangar, mustn't they? Yes, for the aircraft enthusiasts, without a doubt. Yeah, so you could be able to see three bomb V bombers like this together. And of course, five nine eight was. Um, one of the ones that was there due to attack of Falkland Islands, it was on the uh, operation uh, op button there. Yeah. Yeah, it was the prime aeroplane. 
Was it really? Yeah. And, the, and if you read the story, um, the two of them took off. One of the, the lead aircraft had a uh, leak on, I think it was on the DV window and had to return. Yes. Well, well actually. That was five, five line eight, I think that was. Yeah. I, and I think six, cool. 607 went on and did everything. And, yeah, it's weird you say that because uh, last week uh, on the podcast, we were speaking to um, group captain Alistair Montgomery. So he was the, um, on the four of those seven yeah. black boat missions, he was the reserve pilot, but he obviously, you know, was, you know, stationed at Ascension Island and he was still telling all these stories. And it is incredible. That is the great thing about museums, isn't it? When you're, you're saying this is the actual aircraft yeah. and it's so powerful, isn't it, to stand in front of it and, and think this actually was the one. My understanding as well that a conservation centre named after Sir Michael Beeson, it was his idea at the time, said um, he was in position at the time and said, hey, why don't we use Vulcans? Let's work it out how we can do it. And so another connection with uh, Black Buck and Vulcans in 598. It's, um, the Vulcan is, I mean, it's such a popular aircraft, isn't it? But it's just so cool looking, isn't it? It is. It is. And, you know, you've got the ability to be able to walk underneath, but also the lower level in the Cold War hangar, you can just stand there and just look up and just see the whole Delta wing and things like that. It's an amazing, amazing sight. We, um, we went up to, uh, see, um, uh, XH558 um, a yeah, few weeks yeah. ago and um, they sort of said oh yeah you can come and stand on the wing so we like walk, you know, walked up this little cherry picker and sort of like walking around on the wing I started saying to him how many people do you reckon have walked around this wing and he sort of reckoned it was probably like under 20 it's quite a, it was sort of a, quite a crazy experience but when you are actually standing it you get a sense of how massive that Delta wing is yeah. it is huge isn't it? It, it, it is I couldn't work out the area not looking at it but you can see how, how big it is just standing here now a beautiful airplane. Yeah, if I could be bothered to Google it now, I, I, I would. But let's just say, if, yeah, let's just say it's big. Someone out there. If someone, that. someone. Out, yeah. And then uh, I, I imagine that you know the Vulcan is you know hugely popular. Talk us. Talk, let's let's have a little um, mooch around um, some of the other V bombers. So tell us about um, tell us about this. Well, of course, it was the nuclear carrier, and uh, but really the, the victor prom, prominent role really in the air force was the uh, air to air refueling. Which we've got an example here of one of the refueling type um, ah, yes. here. That's, so this will be fitted inside the, yeah, the fuselage or on the VC-10s, wherever they're, they're carrying them. Uh, and you can see here's the the uh, hose pipe, whatever you want to call it. The basket, as, the basket, um, as Monty the was calling basket, it. Basket, yeah. yeah. It comes out on, on the pipe. So this is all the mechanism inside for winching it out and the fuel delivery systems on here. And so again, as you can see, that's a fair piece of kit. It's significantly, what would you say, it's probably about the size of three or four Merlins to give people an idea how big that is. Yeah, it is. It's huge. It's the size of, I would say, um, a large sit-on lawnmower, just for, um, if, yeah, for, yeah. for some DIY context yeah. for you all you out what, what, What's involved on there as well, you've got the drive mechanism and then you've got all the fuel systems on this. It's, it's quite a complex piece of kit. Yeah, and, you know... There's always that. I always wonder what it's like for the pilot having to sort of aim for the, you know, aim for the basket. Yeah, yeah there's quite a few videos out there. I've been fortunate enough, actually, when I was when I was serving in the air force, I went up in a Hercules, and they they were refueling the Phantoms. So that was in 23 Squadron days before they changed over. Uh, and I actually witnessed the Phantom come up behind Hercules and engage. Really? Yeah. Did they get that right that was the time? first part of the flight, which was quite nice. But then the second part of the flight was the uh, the Phantoms were doing some air attacks on the, the Hercules. And the Hercules could stand up to itself. It was, it was quite interesting, actually. 
going down low level through all the valleys and whipping up over the tops of the mountains and the phantoms were struggling really I think the one thing that the phantom would have won was have one chase one standoff one standoff to fire a missile in to take the Herc out but yeah it was interesting to see how well a Herc could stand up for stuff. I think the interesting thing again um, just, we're going underneath underneath the victor here it's the size of the wheels what would you say there's Yes, there's what there's eight there on, on each bogey, but they're no bigger than the size of your car wheel, really, are they? I would say they're probably. It looks like a sort of a seventeen-inch sort of um, alloy, alloy, yeah, size, with a, yeah, with a with a with a, with a slightly, um, you know, not a low-profile tire, but yeah, they don't, and they're quite, um, they're quite thin, actually, aren't they? They what you'd expect to see on an aircraft of such weight and size. They, they they look like the kind of the thickness of you know when you sort of see a Formula One car from the nineteen sixties. Yeah. You know, they look a little bit like those kind of. I suppose maybe this is what we don't you know we take for granted the development of aeroplanes and fuselage and all that sort of side, but the development of tires over the years because even with cars, I suppose when these were out, it was sort of the bicycle thin sort of tires on, on cars but tires have developed a lot over the years in the aviation industry and I dare say if they were going to fit a tyre here now we'd probably rather than have an eight we'd probably have four we'd have a wider profile tyre but then I suppose the technology as you were saying the technology of the actual sort of the compound mm-hmm. of, the, of the rubber I mean this I mean obviously the ability to be able to take all the weight and that impact on landing in it so yeah, they, I mean, they obviously weren't comfortable enough to do the, the, the sort of wider tyre and this is a big old thing isn't it to try yeah. and sort of um, you know when this is um, plonking down on tarmac isn't it yeah, now imagine this taking off full, fully fueled as well <laughs> think how much weight it's involved even the, well, looking across now to the Vulcan they're very similar it could even be the same sort of size tyre actually when you look at it from here buying bulk but then get a good deal see the valiant and uh, we got what right. we expect to see okay yeah so, so let's tires, <laughs> for a big aeroplane so this is uh, like um this is like a proper sort of um halfway to a monster truck tire yeah, i reckon yeah 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 but again we, we've gone from eight down to two two per side on, on the main undercarriage here and this is this another is, incredibly impressive aircraft yeah, isn't le- it electrically actuated undercarriages on this one. Oh really yeah you can see there's a big electrical actuator up there to retract the undercarriage. And again, this is, you know, a bit like the refueling rig you were sort of talking about just then. You know, with museums, it's just getting, you can just get so close to this stuff, can't you? But again, it, it, when you look at the undercarriage difference, and you can see the one there on, which is what you, standard, what we call standard now on, on a flying aeroplane or military or civil but when you come back and look at the one on here on the Valiant now it, it's almost the World War II where you have the double oleo on each side with the, the cross beams and things like that mm. so this is a sort of transfer I suppose is almost right at the end of this sort of style of undercarriage going into what we consider these the single struts uh, but again yeah massive big wheels and say sort of monster truck tyres on here again good look at the game people will probably walk past this but um, if you're an aviation enthusiast you can actually see all the brake systems and the anti-skid maxarette I don't know if that's what they call them on these ones there for, for the system which is uh, actuated by the wheel rotating and uh Looks, yes. quite, look, looks sort of uh, you know oddly primitive now, but you know very cutting edge for the time. Oh, I yeah, think. It certainly would have been in those days, wouldn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. So, what is your uh, if putting you on the spot? What is your <laughs> what is your favourite um, aeroplane in this hangar? Dan? In this in this hangar, well, I, said, I suppose you know you've got to think of the F one eleven, which we've mentioned because it was my very first one. Um, but what else we've got in this? We've got Hunter Saber Canberra uh, Meteor. 
Yeah, you got Just some, trying to think what we've got. got some pretty the cool things there, aren't oh, you? Certainly down the bottom as well, we've got some slightly older airplanes. But I suppose, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the F111 because I say I'm, I know so much about it and it was the first one I built. And obviously, like you, you mentioned, things like the, um, the Meteor, uh, again, very, very popular, very po- popular aircraft, aren't they, with um, yeah. the historic enthusiasts? Yes, yeah, yeah. Still quite a few around the uh, museum world. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see a lot, again, lots of variants. Uh, and of course, another one that we can see up, up here as well. Uh, and again, uh, as you come more into the hangar, you've got the Sabre and the, and the Hunter and, and the Lightning, all at um, interesting angles uh, 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 yes. on suspension. You can see now, there's a, there's a Sabre up there almost uh, upside down. And, I don't know what you would call that on the Hunter, at the angles <laughs> on the Hunter, but you can see a T bird, you can actually see in the cockpit. And then how else would you want to display a Lightning apart from vertical? Let's go and have a look at the. Um, let's go and have a look at the lightning. So that is. Um, so they've got a great. Uh, they've got a, a, a cool lightning on display at the RF Museum in London, haven't they? Um, and yeah. it, again, it's the. Um, I think it's the sheer size yeah. of this thing, isn't it? Um, the size and construction. It's all. It's two engines that just happen to have a wing on it, so it can fly all the way. And so, how you got it? You know, for, for those who haven't been to RAF Cosmos, so how the um, how the lightning is displayed here is it is literally. Imagine you've kind of put three hooks, you know, in the nose and just sort of suspended it from the ceiling, so it's just hanging straight down, isn't it? It's on the engine you mountains. Know. Right. Okay. So yeah, that's good. The wires go down inside to the engine mountains. Yeah. Now, um, this is one actually when, when she first went out of course I say she'd been totally drained of fuel totally drained of uh, hydraulics stuff like that. put it at this angle and it all starts dripping out all the residual inside and I, I think we spent probably the first two years of the uh, cold war hangar being open actually going up two or three times a week mopping up really and we're putting some, bins below I was going to say you need some buckets out. underneath yeah we yeah, but what's the trouble is we could put buckets, but the way this hangar is, it's very open. Mm. You know, you're putting buckets in in people's walkways and things like that. So uh, we were literally going up and mopping up uh, on a morning before we were going up to the public. Just right at the height of the uh, our cherry picker, actually. We could just about get to the ailerons and very much at the height of my heartbeat when I get up there. Today, so so you I, I'm, not, I'm not one for height. So you wouldn't want to be doing what, what else is going on here, which you will be able to see um, elsewhere on um, Kia, is the, um, is the cleaning of, the, um, of all these aeroplanes. Because I am the kind of person that walks around a museum and goes, I wonder how they clean that, that kind of stuff. And it's good to have an answer now that, you know, when my kids ask me, I can say, actually, there's a load of people that go up on ropes, kind of like abseiling, aren't they? You know, doing it. How often do you do this? The... The big cleaning in somewhere like here on the suspended aircraft is once a year. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're also doing uh, inspections on all the rigging. Mm-hmm. And with this being a modular building as well, if you have a little look at all the joints, you see there's nuts and bolts. They actually check the nuts and bolts on this building as well. So, yeah, so an- annually on that. But anything we can generally get to on the ground, so in the other hangars, we would do that as we required, which normally very quick once a week and they're, they're kept nice and clean. But they do, like in any way, like in your homes, they get do get dusty. So, yeah, we get the company come in once a year. And I don't think there's enough money in this world for me to go up there on that rope now. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no. Um, I, I, I'm quite happy standing firmly on the feet and letting somebody else do the work. How um, how how is it calculated, or how do you calculate how to get something as heavy as a Vulcan, or what it takes to get something as heavy as a Vulcan, essentially suspended, you know, off um, off some pipe work. That's what we're talking about here, isn't it? Well, the, 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 the initial thing with any of the any object that we're suspending uh, is to get a, a, an accurate weigh. 
and from the way they work out the CFG. And then we work with the rigging company then on, uh, on what is, is actually possible. So something like this, you can see she's almost flat, straight and level. There's a slight nose up. So that would mean a slight shift back of the CFG. So they've got to make sure the CFG is not going past the undercarriage. Um, and, but when they do put them up as well, part of the uh, suspension process, they put in uh, something that's measuring the weight through the... Uh, the rigging as well to make sure there's weight being held on everywhere. I know we were getting quite low uh, weight. It was coming down to the tunnel to uh, only through the nose. So a lot of the weight was towards the back end. So in the end, we ended up putting some extra ballast in the nose just to hold them down on this one. Uh, so it, it, there is a science behind it. Uh, and a lot of thought goes in and saying it's all, all calculated by the company we work with. How long does it take to get... Do you, how, how do you actually do it? Right. How do you get... so? Yeah, Vulcan in here and suspending it from the ceiling. How long does that process take? A uh, long time, to be honest, uh, and, and a lot longer with the bigger aeroplanes because the first thing we've got to do, the Vulcan with only being half suspended, it's probably not the best example, but if you would look at like the Dakota, the Javelin or something like that, in here, the first thing she has to have done is a complete overhaul, make sure she's, she's safe to go up. Uh, and that will include uh, thorough inspections as far as we can on everything. We can see the spars, if required, and, and ETing on, on the fixtures and fittings. Um, and then, so that's all, you know, I think we work for the, the Red Arrow Nat we've got down at Hendon. I think we, we worked about two years on that aeroplane on various things, make checking her over and things like that. Because the other thing we have to take into consideration is uh, you can see where maybe where the suspension's coming out of the wires. If it's coming out of an original panel, and we have to put the panel back on. We'll put the original panel into storage and manufacture a new one so we're not damaging the original aeroplane. So you have to take all that sort of stuff into consideration. Um, if you're going to be suspending for, on, on more on a plinth and putting it up high and you want the undercarriage door shut, you have to make all new undercarriage doors, things like that, take, put the original ones away because we're not going to be cutting them up. So we make some brand new ones with the cutouts for all the, the uh, fi fixtures and fitting. So there's a hell of a lot of work involved. And say, and then we're working with the... Um, suspension company on wait, what we can possibly do with it my, my idea really is you can see most of them in here is to keep them straight and level then you know any loads are acting equally through the object how many people does it take to, um, to get these things suspended the actual process from start to finish involved the majority of my team. Um, so we, we've got 10, 10 of us, but then obviously you've got a road transport, get it in. But actually on the day of suspension, um, my team, especially if the undercarriage is coming off and the undercarriage door is going to be shut or something like that, we would just literally do that. So that would be a small team, maybe five or six, just to get in that position. Then we will hand over to the rigging company. But again, if too many hands on deck, then it will spoil the operation. So they, they work on what they would considered to be safe in the minimum team maybe one on each rig uh, maybe an over uh, somebody overseas so actual suspension process getting up may only be four or five people mm -hmm. so if you um final question looking at these uh, RAF uh, museum in Cosford as a whole if there's one thing you'd say, tell to pe say to people you've got to see this what would it be um, I suppose as we're standing here next to the lightning I would say the lightning if you've not been here and seen the lightning um, vertical come and see that Great. Well, we will hopefully May the 17th. Come on, Boris. You know it makes sense. To Boris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you very much for your time, Darren. Thank you very much for listening. And see you same time next week. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by and we hope to catch up with you again soon.